This is a trial. This is a new way of doing things. It's a new method. It's not perfect. We're not perfect. Um, please bear with us as we have a go at this. So I always really believe that it's a good idea as an individual group of Christians, as believers, to think about what are the most appropriate things that we should be considering in the Bible at any particular time. Some churches choose to do teaching schemes which last a few weeks or months or even sometimes a whole year or two. Other churches choose to be less pre-planned and they'll do topics on a weekly basis um, or even they might feel led on a particular day to do something. And obviously there's benefits and disadvantage to both of these ways of doing things. So if you go for a long term strategy, that's great for some people. It gives lots of time for preparation, for planning, for engagement and for recap. Um, but it can lead to boredom with a passage, can feel a bit over prescribed, can sometimes feel like you're not really attentive to what God is saying at a particular time. So uh, you may have seen me with my big book recently. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the uh, leading teachers in this country for a number of years, used to teach through huge sections of the Bible. And you can still buy books of his sermons, which fill pages and pages. So they're great stuff, great reading, but they do take a bit of time to get through. On the other hand, you can have a really short term approach to teaching, which is really dynamic. It allows leaders to change direction really quickly, to have a sermon one week that feels really relevant, that's really spontaneous. But that can mean that it's not as consistent as you want, that there isn't the kind of really deep engagement. At EFCC, we've tended to have some series, but we've also benefited from um, individual sermons that are really the now word, the at the moment word. Uh, we've worked through recently our church beliefs, our new mission in the last year or so. So as a group of teachers and talking to Rich and Katie as our leaders, we've decided that we're going to spend a longer time than we would normally do reading and studying, meditating, praying over a particular passage of scripture at this time. And I want to explain a little bit about why we're doing this. So first of all, this really is a truly unusual time and the global pandemic has affected everyone. Our own country has had the most draconian and serious restrictions that we've had in peacetime since the war. And people have died. People have lost loved ones, jobs, families, social lives. All of these have been really radically affected. And just as it looked over the last week or two, like we were getting back to some kind of normality in England, the government has felt that it had to impose tighter restrictions again. So we're now only able to meet in groups of six, both inside and outside, except for certain exempt places like schools, workplaces and churches. So at a time like this, it's absolutely vital that we remember what we believe as a church and as individuals. I, I think, to be honest, it's always crucial to know what we believe. Um, but then our beliefs influence our decisions, where we go, what we do, who we spend time with. There have been loads of decisions made by our leaders and of leaders of different countries in the last few months 
often made incredibly quickly, often based on their values and on things that they think are significant. And there's lots of commentary, lots of discussion about those decisions. Our intention isn't to be political, quite the opposite. We want to remember that our values, our beliefs, they're rooted in the spiritual, in the Christian faith that we profess. Some people in the last few months have been busier than they probably ever thought possible. Those who work in the NHS, in hospitals, um, those who are key workers, our frontline workers, all of them have been working tirelessly, often in circumstances where they've had to put themselves at risk. And quite rightly, we were clapping the NHS workers for a number of Thursdays. Other people, for positive or, or negative reasons, have had more time than they would probably have ever imagined. So I started lockdown. I had a bit more time. I thought, well, I'll learn German. I started reading more books than I thought I would be able to. We even managed as a family to get a game of short tennis, soft tennis outside, set up a net and have a go at that quite regularly. And this pandemic has led people, whether they'd call themselves Christians or religious, to rethink and evaluate their lives and their way of doing things. So at Epping Forest Community Church, we've chosen to spend a long concentrated focused period of time looking at one key bible passage it's a new testament passage because we think that the new testament is crucial to the christian faith in the new testament we read about jesus about jesus the christ the messiah the savior a jew who orthodox christian believe was the son of god god himself part of the trinity father son and holy spirit and in the passage we look at we're going to look at jesus's words where he explains he hasn't come to abolish the old testament the law the torah but to fulfill it we're going to look at a passage a section of scripture where jesus says it's not enough just to not murder not commit adultery not divorce instead jesus will make wider deeper challenges about the way that we think and the way that we act. So our study is going to be in the first book of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Good News, where we're properly introduced to the first time to Jesus, who Christians believe has the words of eternal life. In fact, he's referred by John in his gospel as the word of God. And he is prophesied about, he's promised, he's foretold throughout the Old Testament. But it's right at the start of Matthew that he comes to earth as a baby, um, God in a body, Emmanuel, the one chosen to save the world. After this supernatural birth and the early childhood of Jesus that's described in Matthew chapters one and two, we meet John the Baptist who preaches repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then when he meets Jesus, John is overwhelmed by his own sin, like maybe many of us are. And he agrees finally to baptise Jesus where the spirit of God descends like a dove on Jesus. Jesus is then taken into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. He's challenged. He's offered power. He's offered wealth. If only he will bow down and worship the devil. But he refuses. 
The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, says Jesus. It's not about show or publicity. It's not about the kind of power that the devil suggests. And this is really important. So much of what is happening today is about appearances, about projecting an image, about what we look like, about how we seem to others. Jesus challenges us to think more deeply than appearances. And we're going to need to think about ourselves and how important appearances to us over the next few months. Do we spend too much time thinking about our appearance, our food, our clothes, what people think about us? After he's rested following that testing, Jesus begins to preach and to talk. And his message is the same message as John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He starts calling disciples who follow him, fishermen who will become fishers of men. He heals every disease and illness that he's faced with. And then he begins to get a following. His disciples and then crowds of people, great crowds of people want to hear the latest thing. They want to see this latest preacher and teacher. They want to hear about this good news. So large crowds follow Jesus. And so in our Bibles at the start of Matthew chapter five, Jesus goes to a mountainside. He sits down and he starts talking and he talks for three chapters. Now, of course, these chapters weren't there when Jesus started. There were no chapters and verses. Someone added them later. They're useful, but they're not essential. Sometimes we need to read across chapters. We need to get a real sense of the flow of what Jesus is saying because Jesus just sat down and spoke. And in some Bibles, the words of Jesus are in red because they're marked out as important, as crucial. Perhaps they're more significant than any other words that have ever been spoken on earth. And here, the first recorded sermon of Jesus, the first recorded son of man sermon on earth. So it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's crucial for us to understand what Jesus was saying to his listeners then. And it's crucial for us to understand what Jesus is saying to us, his followers, his listeners now. Now, I'm going to pause for a minute here because many of us desperately want God to speak to us. We love it when someone has a prophetic word for us, when a prophet comes and speaks to us, when we feel that God is speaking to us through our heads, which we check. Um, we have books that we read or songs that we hear or friends that speak to us and share words that they feel that are from God for us. And we do believe as a church that God speaks today. We believe it's possible to hear him. Now, there's obviously risks with this. The Bible says that we should test this kind of prophetic word. But the Bible also says that these words are real. These gifts are available to believers today. And here in this passage, we've got the very words of Jesus. Now, of course, they're in translation and there are many translations that are available today. Plenty have been written and they've been reviewed and checked by incredibly intelligent and diligent women and men, like our own friend Drew Most, who is working as a Bible translator in Cameroon. 
Now I've chosen to use one of the translations that's fairly familiar to people, the New International Version. Um, I'm used to it and I use it as the basis for my talks, but there's plenty of others we could have looked at. And we may well consider other possible meanings of words, looking at other translations as we look at the passage. So let's turn now to the Sermon on the Mount and think a bit about it. As we said, Jesus went up on a mountainside. So someone very, very clever came up with the title, The Sermon on the Mount. Nice. In March, just before lockdown, I had my first chance to go to Israel. It was incredible. And I got to go to some of the places where they believe Jesus spoke and preached and ministered. And the very place where they say he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful place. It's close to Lake Galilee. It's got plenty of greenery and shade. So it seems like his disciples and the crowd sat down, maybe with a nice picnic, and they started to listen. So there's a few things that we need to consider before we start looking at these verses. Firstly, Jesus is speaking as a Jew to Jews in a book written by a Jew. Matthew, the writer, wants to be clear throughout. Jesus is a king ruling a kingdom. But Matthew wants it to be clear that the kingdom we're talking about isn't the kind of kingdom that many Jews were expecting. Jesus wouldn't crush the Romans, impose a new world order by force, rule with an iron fist, instill fear in all his followers and enemies alike. Maybe that's the biggest shock for the Jews and for us. The Jews were expecting and hoping for a military saviour as they'd done before. They wanted to be liberated from their Roman oppressors. But no. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, Jesus describes how his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, operates. It's not a military kingdom and it's not a political one. And as we, his followers, begin to understand how the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven operates, we learn to know how we should live, how we should behave, and most importantly, who we are. Because Jesus is describing a kingdom that already exists. It's the kingdom, the place where he is king. And when John the Baptist and Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven has come near, they are both referring to the fact that Jesus physically, the king, is present bringing the kingdom. Jesus is and was and is to come. He existed before he was born on the earth. He existed on earth and now he continues to live in glory. It's a glory that we will see more fully at some point in the future. So it's really important that we don't feel overwhelmed by the sermon as a list of things to do. It's rather a description of what the kingdom of God is like. Secondly, the Bible's clear that it's not possible at all to be an active, full member of the kingdom, fulfilling everything that's needed without the Holy Spirit. Jesus is clear at the end of his ministry that like him, we need to be baptised and to have the Holy Spirit on us and in us if we're going to live holy lives and live in the way that is described in the Sermon on the Mount. As we read and learn together, we're not looking for a new or better list of things we have to do, the shoulds, the oughts that make us get into heaven. We're looking at a magnificent, 
awesome kingdom which we can be part of. And we're understanding better how we can behave as the Holy Spirit enables us. Thirdly, though we're looking at some small sections and sometimes even at individual words in this section, and sometimes we're going to be really challenged, the aim isn't to look externally, to look at the outside, what we do. While man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart. He's always done it. When Jesse brings Samuel the prophet to his sons in the Old Testament looking for the new king of Israel, everyone thinks it's going to be one of the tall, attractive sons that will be the next king, one like King Saul himself. But God makes it clear through Samuel the prophet, he wants a king after his own heart, a king who shares the things of his heart, who operates like him. So we'll see that Jesus talks about attitudes about what you're thinking. He wants us to refocus our lives so that we live only for him. We reflect God's heart. We reflect his passion, his compassion, his way of being and doing. And that's why this is such a brilliant passage for this time. God's offering us full membership of his kingdom, not as a result of what we do, but as a result of us turning our hearts to him, repenting and choosing to be and live as he wants. He's offering us membership of his kingdom, which is also a family. We don't come just on our own and remain alone in the kingdom. We join with a great throng who become so very close to us, bound together as a community in the way that will be described later in the Bible in the book of Acts. There's a message about community here for us today that is so vital. And it's also clear later in chapter six about how we should respond in this time. Don't worry. Do not worry about what you wear, what you eat or what's happening around you. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything you need will be given to you. This is another central theme throughout the sermon. Seek the kingdom, understand the kingdom, live as though you are only living to serve the king. Jesus will later say that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength. And that leads to a second commandment, which is to love your neighbour as yourself. We see these two themes throughout the sermon. Pray to God. Give as though only God sees and matters. Be humble. Be an example. Don't exalt yourself. Be salt and light in a crooked world. This is such a key message for today. We're called to become kingdom beacons. Each of us is told by Jesus to be a light, a shining example of something better, greater, more permanent and exciting than anything the world can and ever will offer. So over the next few weeks and months, we're inviting you to come on a journey with us to read the sermon, the three chapters regularly. In fact, we think it takes about 10 to 15 minutes. So why not set yourself a task and try and read the sermon every week and meditate on it, reflect on it, think about it as you go about your daily business.
And then every week when we come together by Zoom or in a physical building, we will give you the chance to talk about what God is saying to you through words and phrases and through verses in this glorious sermon. We really look forward to getting involved in this as a church. We want it to be a communal event where everybody brings something and everybody is buzzing about the first sermon that Jesus taught. We hope you come on the journey with us and we look forward to talking to you more about it in the coming weeks. Bless you.